Tyson Bagent has already exceeded expectations as an undrafted rookie out of a Division II school. So the question from here is, just how good can he be? And where should we set expectations in a unique situation like this? You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm here to bring you your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. You can follow me on Twitter at CoxSports1. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown Bears. You can like Lockdown Bears on Facebook. Join the Lockdown Bears Facebook group for even more Bears talk. And make sure you hit that subscribe button on the Lockdown Bears YouTube channel to keep up with all of our video podcasts as well. Thanks for making Lockdown Bears your first listen today. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use our promo code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. On the show today, really excited to be talking to Matt Waldman of Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. If you don't know Matt, he's a draft analyst who's been doing this for a long time and doing it better than almost everyone else. He only tends to focus on like the fantasy football positions in the NFL draft of quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. But he goes in-depth on all those positions and shows his work at an in-depth level beyond what anyone else is giving you in his draft guide every year. And Matt Waldman in particular was higher than anyone I've seen on Tyson Bagent heading into the draft. Before he was undrafted, before the Bears brought him in, throughout this whole process, he had Tyson Bagent, I believe, as his sixth highest graded quarterback in this year's draft class. He saw this potential throughout the process and is not as surprised then to see him play so well early on for the Bears. So we're going to talk to him about what Tyson Bagent was at the Division II level, why that's translating into the NFL, and where that kind of leads him from here, what we should watch for from Tyson Bagent, what we should expect for him moving forward. Matt is one of my favorite football people to talk to. When I when we have conversations with Matt Waldman on the podcast, I always learn something. I'm captivated by it every time, and I hope you are too. There's a lot to get into here. So let's talk to Matt. All right, we're joined now by the great Matt Waldman, author of Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio and a senior staff writer for Football Guys. You can see all his work at mattwaldmanrsp.com, including where he's done some great work on Tyson Bagent, a big part of his pre-draft analysis there of, of all the quarterbacks. And Bagent was a guy that you, Matt, were, I think, higher on than a lot of the people in the general consensus. And I think what we've seen from Bagent through a couple of starts now certainly rewards or lends some credence to some of what you were seeing from him early on in this process, you know, ahead of the senior bowl, before the draft, before he goes undrafted. What would have been sort of your your early impressions here through a couple of games? Well, you know, when I look at quarterbacks, especially once they've made their way to the NFL and during their rookie year, I look at, I'm really looking at them from a 30-game sample once they move into the NFL, and it's in phases. So this initial phase of four to six starts for me is, are they do they show a comfortable fit within the scheme that they have to play in like this the scheme matching what they can do to a certain extent um and are they showing what they did in the college game in the NFL game pluses and minuses you know strengths and weaknesses does it does he look like the same guy essentially but just against 
you know, better athletes, savvier um, athletes and more complex schemes. And I'd say the answer right now is a resounding yes. He looks like that guy. And that's a big deal for him because he was a Division II quarterback. And you just never know because he's facing guys where sometimes the, you know, the linebackers aren't as big as him. Um, in <laughs> you know, in division two, sometimes that's the case. So you get a, a wider variety of athlete. And as a result of that, you, you know, you can tell that he had arm strength. You can tell, and you see that in the game. I mean, he loves, he, he has no problem hitting those deep outs or those or perimeter throws that require putting, um, you know, a line on the ball and throwing it with, you know, low trajectory and, and velocity. He does that well. You can see that he's aggressive downfield when he sees opportunities, um, and does that extremely well up the boundary. You know that throw to to Darnell Mooney at the beginning of the game was you know a, a, a nice play, and you could see that he had a he had that nice throw to Valus Jones Jr. that just you know didn't work out. Um, you know, and so you, you see those opportunities with him, and then also the movement he can throw to his left and to his right. The physical tools are all there. Um, I think he sees the field reasonably well, especially when he is forced out of the pocket. He can create. Um, and also there's a willingness to make some throws that you would expect a starter to make in the middle of the field because that's really where NFL quarterbacks have to win is between the hash marks or at least inside the numbers, I would say, inside the numbers and against tighter windows with multiple defenders in the area. Can you read the leverage and know that you got to let that ball go? And he's shown some signs of doing that. He hasn't always been super accurate there, but you can see that he sees the he sees the field the way he needs to see the field at this stage. And this is before what we're going to need to see next because the next phase of his his game, which may not come because Justin Fields will be back, um, but will be if, for instance, Fields weren't to come back or something to happen, say, like next year and Bajan somehow wins the job and he's playing for the, you know, and he's starting for the Bears or two years from now or wherever he winds up that next phase of starts is really when defenses have decided we're not going to play as vanilla um, in terms of our coverages. We may not blitz as heavily and be overly aggressive to try and rattle him because we've seen him enough to know that he's not going to, you know, get frazzled by that. Now we're going to start accumulating a book of things that we've scouted him for and see if we can implement some of those things bit by, you know, week by week, more teams will do that. And then that, after like I'd say the first six games, teams start doing that. So from like week six to fifteen, or start six to fifteen for that player, that's when you start to see whether or not they can grow. What, what defenses think these players can and can't do, and then from starts fifteen to thirty, or whether they can grow beyond what their scouting report was and what the defenses think they can do to stop it. So if you, I'll give you a guy by who you know, really kind of fits this conversation. And that's Brock Purdy. Mm, yeah. Brock Purdy, you know, everyone's going to look at Tyson Bajan or whoever starts, you know, who doesn't have a high-end um, draft capital. And they go, is he the next Brock Purdy? You know, um, I had a high grade on Brock Purdy as well. He was, he he had a higher grade than Zach Wilson, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, Will Levis, um, a number of different, it was almost as high as Kenny Pickett. 
um, in terms of what my grade was for pick Purdy pre-draft. Well, he's had three games where he's had multiple interceptions, three touchdowns and five interceptions after having a sterling touchdown interception ratio. Well, it's those those past three games, whether you're looking at it without the playoffs included or with the playoffs included, he's either entering his either that last week was his 14th start or it was his 17th start. Either way, he's near that trough area of what I observe with young quarterbacks in terms of their rookie phase or initial phase, where teams have started to compile the book on them and say, these are things that we can kind of do um, to to slow him down or limit him or test him. And now Purdy's going to have to play his way out of it. I think he will. And when I look at Bajan, I think the tools are there, and and we're seeing that for sure. And it makes him a compelling player that at the very worst, I think he can be a long-term journeyman player in this league who can give you bridge starts and and be a first-tier backup for you. That's at the very least, I think. This episode of Locked On Bears is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks, the better way to do daily fantasy sports. Because unlike other daily fantasy platforms, Prize Picks puts you in complete control. It's just you versus the house. Prize Picks sets projections for every player, and then you decide whether that player will perform better or worse than their Prize Picks projection. Like, for example, in Bears Saints this weekend, Prize Picks has Derek Carr at 244 and a half passing yards. You pick two to six players, and whether they will do better or worse than their Prize Picks projection, and you can win up to 25 times your money. You gotta check it out for yourself. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use our promo code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's an extra $100 to play with at prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL promo code locked on NFL prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy. What do you think the lesson is there in in the evaluation of somebody like Bajan? Not necessarily for you, but for for everyone else. Like both both Bajan and Purdy are guys that you know get drafted late and instantly. You know, it's not like oh they developed over the course of four years and then took the field and were a better quarterback than we saw in college. They were even from even in the preseason we saw some of this with Bajan and of course his first start and Purdy was the same way. Like all of a sudden these guys are right away bona fide starting caliber quarterbacks or at least like showing the kind of traits that can lead you to be a starting caliber quarterback down the line. Like. Why do you think those guys have gone undrafted? What are what are people missing? Or, or I guess Purdy was the last pick in the draft. But what what are we missing in the evaluation process? Absolutely, it's well. Quarterbacks hard to is the hardest position to evaluate. I think in sports, and the one of the difficulties of it is that we're trying to use science and analytics to study players, and we and it's a very important set of tools. Um, and using a layer of that is valuable, but what can happen is teams overfit the information they get and don't understand that it, there's a certain place or layer for that information. It's like taking, it's like taking frosting and saying we're going to make an entire cake out of frosting, and there's like no cake. <laughs> but frosting you know? is so good. But why wouldn't we just want more frosting? Yeah, it's fast. It's fantastic. You yeah. know, but you probably get sick after you eat a slice. Um, you know, so it's like you, you, you need to be able to have that balance and, and need something that holds up the information and gives it context 
and it gives it its proper context. And that's the thing. I mean, when you look at players like Purdy and Bajan, number one, people make models, and a lot of the models that they'll make will be about height and weight, completion percentage, wins, school that they played at, caliber of competition. And those models are easy to X out like a lot of players who just won't fit that and probably would never do well. Like there's a player who Bajent lost to um, last year at the Colorado School of the Mines, John Machada. Okay. <laughs> Terrific quarterback. Okay. But he's like five, he's like my height, 5'11, and he's probably like 165. Okay. He CFL's gonna love him, okay, as a as a contributor. But you know that it's very unlikely that a player of that weight is going to be able and height is going to hold up well in the NFL unless they have special athletic characteristics and he does not. So arm strength, all those things, they X out a lot. But the problem is, is that there's guys who may be in those schools who may have the height and weight, but not the wins, not the other things who get kind of X'd out and washed out from that perspective. And also we then look at quality of competition and we have to understand that if you're watching the correct things about quarterback play, then, you know, to me, what I've learned at least, and it's been a hard lesson for over about almost 20 years of doing this, is that if I were to define scouting, I define it carefully as it's the physical, conceptual, and technical tools that are on display, or you're evaluating those tools on display to determine whether the player can put himself or his teammates in a position to make positive plays. So that's that's a mouthful. But the reason I, I state that is that you're looking at all these skills, not to see whether they've had success with the result, but whether the process is good. And and you can have plays where, you know, Tyson Bajant, whether he played Alabama or Alabama school of the, the reed makers, you know, <laughs> you would... You know, if he's doing things within his control, you know, in all those areas to put set up his teammates for positive plays, whether they drop the ball like Valus Jones did or whether um, they trip on their route like George Kittle did on the interception that he threw um, in the red area and Jermaine Pratt ended up cutting off, you know, and it was a it was an improvised play because Kittle dropped up, basically fell down on a. Uh, or slipped on a um, shovel pass in the red area and blew up the play immediately. Whether it's, Whatever it is, did the player do the things that he needed to do to help himself and the team succeed, even if the success isn't there? And if the answers are resoundingly yes in all these areas, then you actually have a player who's who's doing well. Unfortunately, a lot of scouts look at things that are way outside the player's control and their variables that – they they can't account for whether or not you know a running back who gets 300 yards you know tevin coleman playing at at indiana getting 178 yards and two touchdowns against ohio state playing outside zone you know i remember watching him and saying well he's not a good outside zone runner and people would go that's crazy he played outside zone at iu i was like yeah but if you watch he was out athleting people and the two runs he had against ohio state as an example of many games i watch he he had two runs that were good, and the rest were basically trash runs that would have closed up a playbook in the NFL. And 
when he first went to Kyle Shanahan's system in uh, Atlanta, they had to stop running the outside zone with him because he couldn't run it. And they had to give him gap plays, which was not part of their program. But that was what he did well because he wasn't a diagnoser. Um, and even when Kyle Shanahan wanted to bring him to the 49ers, you know, it was like, it was short-lived. I'm part of it was injury, but it was fairly short-lived. He wasn't the solution. It was a bunch of, you know, late round guys who ended up running that scheme better. So, you know, when you look at quarterbacks, a lot of it's that. And then the final thing is processing information, which is you're hearing more about this with these S2 tests and the AIQ. And these are good methods to try to approximate how quickly a player thinks and applies that information, but they're not doing it on the field. So it's still a layer of information that you're going to have to collect data and see where it's reliable and where it's not. It's not a magic pill. And processing information is probably the most, still the thing on the forefront of quarterback evaluation that people are trying to learn and to get better at. And and I think they're, they're trying to use science, which makes total sense. But um, the problem is, is that quarterbacking is an improvisational performance medium, just like music, just like stand-up comedy, just like acting in some realms in terms of certain mediums of things. You have playing in practice, practicing is one thing, playing in front of people, playing in playing in a in pressure situations and and things not going right and you having to make something out of it or being able to make adjustments um, in addition to that, to, to make the situation better and understanding when that happens, all of that's improvisational and it requires an integration of tools and skill sets that you can't, you're not just going to impress people on a whiteboard. You've got to be able to do that on the field. And Brett Favre, like I always talk about, Brett Favre didn't understand a nickel, but he invented the RPO, at least <laughs> yeah. early in his career. And yeah, he threw a lot of interceptions, but he was a high risk type of person. Think of the comedian, think of a comedian that you love who makes a lot of bad jokes, but the joke, the jokes that he does land are so incredibly good that he's a, he's a great comedian, you know, but you, you know, that you'll, you won't laugh at like probably four to six, you know, maybe three to five out of every 10 jokes, but the other, but the other three to four are funny. And then two are so funny that they make the entire night. I would say Robin Williams was probably that way um, to some extent. Um, so, and he was known for stealing jokes. So you look at, you know, look at Brett Favre. I love Robin Williams, but, and, and I love Brett Favre's game. And, you know, we won't make any jokes about what he did in Mississippi stealing, but, uh, you know, you know, maybe I just did, but you know, this is a a fair show so we can do that. Um, but, but that's the, that's the point is the improvisational element is hard to quantify and it's, and there are certain things that players have to learn that size and all the size and arm strength and wins and all those things they overfit what it is you have to actually study and the way you do that is on film and incrementally looking at those things this episode of locked on bears is brought to you by doordash doordash is a great delivery service to get all of your favorites delivered right to your door it's also a great way to patronize some of your favorite local restaurants. Looking at DoorDash in the Chicago area, for those of you around the town, say you want some seafood, you're at home, but you don't want to get dressed up, go to the seafood place, sit down, you know, wait for your seafood to be brought out, and then you know, leave and then have to do all that. You can have some great seafood from Shaw's Crab House delivered right to your door at 
DoorDash. They got great crab, surf and turf, surf and surf, Parmesan crusted haddock. I mean, you name it, they've got some great seafood options and you can enjoy them from the comfort of your home with our friends at DoorDash. Right now, if you download the DoorDash app and enter in our promo code LOCKED23, you're going to get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order. That's subject to change. Terms apply. Don't forget to enter that code LOCKED23 for 50% off up to a $10 value on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and spend $15 or more. That becomes so much more challenging, though, for for from Division Two level, right? When when like as you said, the linebackers are the same size as the quarterback. Instead of you know now he's practicing against Tremaine Edmonds, who's you know six four, two hundred and fifty pounds or whatever. Like I would imagine improvising against the Colorado School of Mines is a lot. I don't want to say a lot easier than implement, implement improvising against you know the Las Vegas Raiders, but like it's certainly a different ball game. But at the same time, like. It is the same coverages generally. I mean, maybe the blitzes and some of the disguises get more complex at the NFL level. But like, I don't know. What do you think about that? That yeah. talent gap? How do you isolate sort of the quarterback from the competition? Yeah, and that's a great question, and I'm so glad you asked that. So many, so few people do, and and it's really the most important thing is that when you're studying players, part of it is say when you're charting them and looking at their accuracy, because that's the first part is. It, when you're looking at accuracy, it doesn't matter whether it's Asante Samuel Jr. covering you um, or whether it's this, you know, 130-pound cornerback at Colorado School of the Mines covering your wide receiver. If you're placing the ball in the area based on where the route should be breaking, based on what the defense is doing, and the ball is where it needs to be in a pinpoint manner, then it doesn't matter who the coverage is. And this is something I learned from just observing a story that Bill Walsh told Mike Holmgren. You know, there was a way back in the day, Mike Holmgren talks about how Bill Walsh really honed in on accuracy. And Joe Montana was in practice throwing a, a deep post to Jerry Rice. And, and you know, he got the ball to Rice. Rice made the catch. And, and Mike Holmgren was like, that's a great throw, Joe. And, and immediately Bill Walsh heard that and ran over to Holmgren, pulled him aside and spent five minutes telling him, listen, don't ever tell Joe, Mon don't ever tell a quarterback that that's a great throw because on that route, the ball needs to be placed here so that he can be able to throw the ball or be able to run after the catch, doesn't have to leave his feet. He doesn't have to make any adjustments. It needs to be pinpoint. And for every route that you see, you have to determine where that pinpoint is. And sometimes pinpoint is a, th a play, and this is something he didn't, Walsh didn't say, but it's something that I would add to it is that sometimes pinpoint throws aren't perfect you know, in stride passes. Sometimes they're back shoulder plays where you have to make an athletic adjustment or you have to make a sliding catch on and dig out the throw because it's the only place the receiver's going to have a safe opportunity to make the catch versus the coverage and the leverage of the defender. So when you're charting plays, it's not, you know, you have levels of that. So if you're look, if you do that accurately and really stay on that strict criteria, then it doesn't matter who's covering you because, you, you know, you're not looking at Sam Bradford against, you know, Colorado School of the Mines and the wide, re and he threw a ball where, um, 
you know, the receiver had to turn around and catch it, but the defender's two yards behind him. You know, when when he's facing Dallas and he has to throw a ball and he turns around two yards behind him to make that catch, um, there's more as a greater chance that defenders within range to undercut the ball, knock it away, or that there's a defender over the top who's going to cream that receiver. And these are things that people are often missing or processing. Baker Mayfield's a great lesson of that. I got a lot of um, guff from some analysts because I had Baker Mayfield graded out as a as basically Jeff Garcia, as like kind of a, a, a journeyman starter who could give you Pro Bowl numbers if he had a great surrounding talent of sort of supporting cast, but not a guy who's going to lead you you know, as the the franchise quarterback. And one of the areas that I mentioned is that accuracy is not, um, you know, statistical accuracy can be very misleading because he had great statistical accuracy at Oklahoma. But what you would notice is that it was mostly against zone. When you watched him against man-to-man and then um, defenses brought pressure high up and squeezed the pocket and made him stay in the pocket and throw the ball on time, he couldn't throw the ball on time. He was He was often a beat or two late. And you'd see that with their feet where they would have a hitch or a second hitch or a third or fourth hitch. And the ball might get there for the receiver to make the catch, but now the defender's on top of him, and he's getting the ball's getting knocked out or defended because now it's a much tougher play. Whereas if he actually threw the ball when he was supposed to with a little more anticipation and based on reading the leverage and not confirming whether the receiver broke open, he would have completed that pass and the receiver might have even turned up the field and made a lot more out of it. And people don't understand that all the time because they're looking at the data to look at the numbers, but the data doesn't always give you that context. So when you define criteria very clearly and you're projecting it towards what you would see in NFL situations, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect with scouting quarterbacks. I've certainly missed many, um, you know, but I would say since I've started doing that, you know, I've had success with guys like Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and and um, Brock Purdy, you know, or Zach Wilson or Baker Mayfield on the other end of the spectrum. And and I would say that you look at Bajan and what's tough about that is, yeah, do you the complexity of defenses in terms of whether they're going to play hybrid coverages um, you know, on one side of the field where it's going to be zone, and the other is going to be man. How they disguise stuff—that's going to be the—that's going to be the difficult thing. Um, but honestly, there aren't many teams in in the SEC or the Big Ten that actually do that either. So when it comes down to it, if you just if, if you're looking at the criteria that I mentioned, and the player does that well, and the, and all the physical tools are there. Um, give him as you're going to, you're going to give that grade that you give him should be the same without any plus or minuses to the grade that you would have given um, an SEC, AC or big 10 quarterback who, who scored the same thing. A lot of, a lot of good lessons there. I mean, I, I a lot to take away there and forget too that the receivers he's throwing to get better a little bit too. Uh, yeah. Matt, we could talk about Tyson Bajan for for hours here, and I love I love nerding out on the draft process for you. But as as we wrap up here, let everybody know. Give us the elevator pitch for the rookie scouting portfolio, where they can get more of your work, and also the support you guys do for Darkness to Light and some of the, the cause behind it. I appreciate that. Yeah, and you know, listen, you listen to this podcast, you can see the kind of crazy depth that I go into with this. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I understand it's 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 nutty, but it's the same thing. I'll just put it to you this way. 
Um, the reason, you know, Anthony Richardson and Tyson Bajan, they both work pre-draft with a, a certain quarterback um, coach by the name of Will Hewlett, who's really well known in, um, in circles for his ability to coach players up. You know, I contribute reports to him. He trusts my work. Um, and the RSP is also one of the two most purchased draft guides for cross-checking purposes by NFL scouts, at least according to um, recruiting directors I know. One of them who's been vocal about that is Alex Brown over at SMU, um, who is the director there and has said, you know, meets with these guys on a regular basis and met with them at Houston and Rice as well when he was there and said, yeah, it's one of the two most purchased for that alone it's a if you're a fantasy player well you know i've been writing about fantasy since 2003 and i incorporate that in there where it's football rich and you're going to learn about football or you know and get real football insights but you're also going to get it from you're also going to get a fantasy point of view along with it so you get a pre-draft that is usually 900 to 1100 pages of content fully bookmarked easy to navigate on a pdf um and then along with that for 21.95 you get a um, post draft for those of you who are in fantasy uh, talking about fit and, and all of that um you also um also do projections and rankings for dynasty leagues and that's a separate product but you can find all that at mattwaldmanrsp.com or just go to mattwaldman.com if you just want to buy it right away and i i donate um, a certain percentage up to $2,000, excuse me, up to $5,000 every year um, to Darkness to Light. They're an organization devoted to um, preventing sexual abuse of children through um, community training. They'll train individuals, communities, universities, municipal groups, things like that. And, and the focus is on not only just trying to prevent this from happening and spotting you know, grooming tactics that are often made and dynamics that dispel oftentimes the myths that people have about the the man in the van saying, hey, you want some candy kid, you know, but also like what happens within families and things like that that people don't want to discuss because it's very uncomfortable um, and understandably so. But they talk about those things as well as how to address issues when they do occur, because it's the it's the how, it's how people don't address the issue well that can compound the trauma that kids go through. And so it's an awesome organization. They're very responsible with their money, according to Charity Navigator. They've scored 100 at least for an, several years in a row on that, which is um, not always common with charities. So it's a great cause. And, uh, you know, I've been donating there. We've donated over, I believe we're at $60,000. Um, wow. since, since we've started donating and for a little organization like mine, that's a, you know, a niche product, um, for you crazies out there who love football. Um, you know, we're very proud of that and, and proud of, of our, um, our subscribers who, who, who've helped that cause over the years. That's phenomenal. And I always want to make sure we make time to include that in there too, because it's a really important part of the, what you work and it's a great, great organization as well. So Matt, really appreciate you joining us again and uh, hope to do it again soon. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Matt Waldman from Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio for joining us on the podcast today. I love talking to Matt. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I know I did. If you had a good time, if you learned something, make sure you hit that subscribe button on the Lockdown Bears YouTube channel or wherever you listen to podcasts. That way you're going to keep up with all of our daily in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. I know normally on Fridays we'd be doing our game plan podcast, but 
The Waldman conversation, I just think, is a really good timing for this with the Tyson Bajan situation. And we got our Saints preview with Ross Jackson from Lockdown Saints on Thursday's podcast. So go check that out if you have not already. And come back on Monday as we recap whatever happens in Bears Saints. Perhaps a you know, quick turnaround for the Carolina Panthers on Thursday night next week. But we'll still go back through the game and get you ready for Thursday's game as well. We are here for you each and every day to make sure that you get your daily opportunity to bear down.